Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app slash breadbox. One, two, three, listen. Welcome to the Shoot the Shiitake podcast with me, Father Leo Paddlinghug, a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together to learn to love and accept one another. Even if we disagree, we've got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as God intends for us to do. And this podcast isn't about the deep technical or theological things of the Catholic faith, but it's more about how to make these a realistic and practical part of our life simply by listening to each other. And this week I have the pleasure of connecting with good friend Paul George, speaker, author, and a consultant, and helping us on how to live a life of happiness. It'll be a deep dish discussion, and I know you'll enjoy it. And if you want to support our podcast, go to my website, platinggrace.com, become a member of the Academy, and as a tiered member, you not only support us with a small monthly donation, you become part of a unique online community, gain access to premium content and other special perks. But for now, please join me and my guest, Father... Not father, but he is definitely a dad. You'll hear all about that. Paul George, as I dive into a deep dish discussion and we shoot the shiitake. Paul, thanks for joining me on this conversation because I really want to talk to you about what it's like working for the church. (laughs) (laughs) The church universal or the local church? Yeah, let's talk about that both because you've had experiences Mm -hmm. in trying to help the church universal, obviously, right? and now you're trying to help specific churches, but there's a real struggle there, isn't there? Uh, There is. I do a little bit of consulting, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And uh, sometimes they don't know they need the help, <laughs> whether that be as a church or as an individual. So you're like Restaurant Impossible. You kind of go <laughs> in and you're like, this has to go, that has to go. Well, if I could do it that way, I would. Uh-huh. Honestly, in some ways, I think at times uh, people are, are really sensitive. 
you know, instead of just owning up and be like, yeah, we need change, we need overhaul, we need to do things differently. Um, those types of folks that admit that um, experience the greatest amount of results. So, like, they need a little bit of humility. Absolutely. But but oftentimes, there may be a struggle because you're a layman coming in and telling a priest what to do. I mean, have you actually had to tell priests, you can't do that, Father? Well, it's, yeah, not in somewhat in those words, but uh, oh, I there could be a, a different way of doing it. Sure. Uh, maybe a better way to get results. Um, you know, my experience is a uh, president of a nonprofit and then doing consulting in the business world um, has allowed me a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say credentials, but maybe more some knowledge on how to help the church. Oh, um, so really. With structure, with mission, their vision, their core values. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned from the business world, because Jesus actually encouraged us to be pretty entrepreneurial, and mm-hmm. that's not, that doesn't always happen in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors at play, but in the business world, I think some of the things that you can learn from is that uh, they're, they're not afraid to, for, of change. They're not afraid to do things differently because it's competitive. And w- when things are competitive, if you don't compete, you lose. Mm-hmm. And when you lose, you have to fire people, get rid of people, and then you have to close your business. That's right. right. So when you're competitive, if you go back thinking about sports or anything you were competitive in, um, you really had to compete to to keep playing. And what I find in the church is it's not real competitive. Oh, tell me about they're, that. They're not trying to you're be— sound, You're making it sound like we're lazy. They're not trying to be better <laughs> or good. And I'm not trying to say, hey, let's be better than the church down the block so that we can look better uh-huh. or make them look bad. I'm talking about being the best that we can be. I'm talking about, like, being the absolute best that we can be— and using what God has given us, whether that be in the business world or in the church world, uh, using what God has given us to the best of our abilities. So, so how about if a priest just is limited or a cantor is limited or the finances are limited? How are we going to actually get things up and running right. in a church like that? Well, I, so I use this approach and as, by the way, we, folks, you're getting consultation for free, so right. you're welcome. As one of the first steps I use this approach in saying is we always start with the vision. Where do we want to go? Oh, my gosh. Are you going to make us write a mission statement? No. Where do we want to be? <laughs> Where do we want to go? Yes, in some way. Yeah. But here's, here's what I find, Father, uh, is that the biggest killer of a vision is the word how. Isn't that something? And when when people just start asking, well, how are we going to do that? It just the vision just goes down the toilet. Mm. And this is what happens when you begin to start vision. People just sit back and they start saying how, and then the vision stops. To challenge you though, that's what a journalist has to do. They have to explain, you know, who, what, where, when, why, and how. But how's the next step? Okay. You know, and so what ends up happening is we want to ask how during the process of setting the vision. But if we start asking how too early, the vision, we just stop visioning. We Ah. stop thinking. We stop dreaming and setting a mission of where we want to go. So, for example, uh, small church, few resources, small staff, okay? We get it. There's challenges, right? Uh, And we vision and say, well, what do you guys want to do? What is God asking you to do here? We want to make disciples of this whole city. Man, I love that. You just got me fired up, right? Wow. Gosh, if a church actually said that, right? I'd go. Okay, but, you know, someone says, well, how are we going to do that? Well, then let's just make disciples of our neighborhood. Okay. How are we going to do that? Uh, Let's just 
make disciples of the people in the pews. How, see, it starts shrinking. Now, it's not because you're this big, tall, very muscular, big white guy that you remind me of Tony Robinson right now. <laughs> I'm not making people walk across coals. This now, is, are, are these things so, that you're learning from your own competitive background? I mean, what's your training besides common sense? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I played sports through college, competitive, and I always figured, like, I found when I stopped playing sports that I, I – uh, I had a hard time finding things that I could compete in, right? Ah. And uh, I didn't necessarily think it was the business world, which there's nothing wrong with that. But money was never the object of the pursuit. It was it was life change for people. Yeah. Um, right? That's why you do what you do. I do what I do. Um, and is and that part of the impetus of the book? The impetus of the book is more personal change. Rethink ah. happiness, like finding your purpose uh, in relationship with Christ. Well, let's, well I'm going to come back to that, yeah. but I, I just love this idea of competition mm-hmm. or competitiveness because yeah. you're right. There can be a very status quo. Right. I mean, I think we've used the words maintenance versus mission. Sure, I've heard that. Before. We've heard that. I mean, that's like yeah. 30 years old, Ashenbrenner kind of stuff. But, <laughs> right. I mean, but I mean, it's all very— And it's good. And it's appropriate. Yeah, it's, he's 100% right. But how do you get them to become competitive again? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do? Well, you know, when you set the vision and you just say, okay, stop making excuses. Stop asking how. If God's asking you to make disciples of this whole city, let's, that's your vision. Then we can go to how we're going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. What are the steps to get there? Like, where, where are we going to take this? Mm-hmm. And, and so that becomes more of the appropriate sort of steps and the next steps. Um, but before we get there, it's really instilling in your team and your staff a sense of purpose for that 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 vision dude who's gonna do that right let's admit some priests aren't good at that well that's why people like you and i exist to help with that (laughs) right like and i this is what i understand is that uh priests are also you know the the sacramental uh pez dispenser of their parish (laughs) they're also the ceo they're all you know like they're wearing a lot of hats you know and, and i get it but here's what i don't get why not ask for help why not reach out? Yeah. That, that's, that's the only thing I'm saying is like the status quo is just saying I'm just not going to do more than what I can do. So what does this look like then? You show up. I mean, tell me what a consul. I know what a consultor does for, you know, the Deloitte's, the Price Waterhouse. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I get what they do. But how do you do that on a church scale? Is it a month, a week? What do you do? Uh, every situation is different. I, and I do spend, you know, majority of my time really with businesses um, and in the church world, because it mo- I don't know if you know this, it moves a little bit slower on, on the church <laughs> no. end of things, and the resources Paul, are a little bit less. Really? Right. But every situation is different as far as like what their needs, the steps mm-hmm. that they need to take. So that could be a three-month process. It could be a six-month. It could be a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your you know vision? What's the mission? How are we going to get there? And then what are the steps, goals, and objectives we're going to take to get there? And in that process, do you have, do you have the right team in place to move that forward? Oh, my and gosh. And that could be your staff, and that could be your volunteers. You do realize that probably scares a ton of people. Yeah, but that's exciting. <laughs> like, right? What's not exciting is to wake up every day and be like, we're just going to be sticks in the mud. But that's the point. Sometimes you got to trim in order to grow. 100%. And that's what people don't get. Right. And so that's your consultancy. Now, there's another side to you, though. I mean, it's like this Catholic evangelist speaker. Right. I mean, do people know that about you and before they bring you on? Because 
we don't want to have too much Jesus into this company. <laughs> you know what I find is a, a lot of people don't know that um, on the business end, um, but actually one of the things that attracts uh, folks to someone like me is that in the business world is that um, every business leader um, has what I call core values. Sure. Things that are inside of them that are really important, right? Absolutely. And you can be face-to-face with someone who's maybe not practicing uh, their faith or a Christian. And you say, what are your core values? And they write them down. And all those core values are really good. They're, they're Christian-based. They, they say, you know, I, we want our people to serve. We want them to love. We want them to have joy. And I'm yeah. like, okay, keep talking. <laughs> we want them to work hard. I'm like, these are all... Hello. These are, are all values <laughs> and virtues that, that we want as Christians. So, so the crossover is really good. So to pull that out of people um, is really fun. Okay. And so is that what you're doing right now? You're, you're kind of literally pulling core values out of people, and then there's got to be this applic- applicability. Yes. What does that look like? Because, I mean, what you're saying sounds great. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask that word. Yeah. How? Yeah. You make that happen. Well, one of the things with the core values is um, we talk a lot about um, culture. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you want to establish a healthy culture with the right team, and your your vision, your mission, your core values help you to do that. So it's really how do you implement those core values with your team on a consistent basis? Mm. And so we talk about steps of implementing those core values with your team so that everyone's on the same page, living, breathing, and working in line with those values every day. Nice. That's that's so, so interesting. So that's integrated into like the way they do their team meetings or the way they do their um, you know huddles, the, the way they operate, the way they talk to each other. So besides not willing to change, because I'm thinking for the best interest of the church and people who are kind of looking at this, what are some key problems that the church is experiencing? And we can name them. Obviously, they don't want to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's going to be lack of resources and staffing. But what do you think are the biggest problems besides Satan, <laughs> who doesn't right. want the church to literally grow, be effective, and let's even dare use the word successful? Yeah. Well, and I think they're all valid. Um <coughs> But at the end of the day, there are also excuses. Okay. Okay. So we could say, you know, we have a, you know, pre-shortage, you know, the lack of vocations, mm. you know. So you can go to one diocese and there's one priest for every three parishes, right? You can go to another diocese, there's only one priest per parish. And they can use that as an excuse. Well, we don't have enough priests. Well, we don't have enough money. So it's constantly sort of these excuses. I'm not saying they're not valid or they're not real excuses, but, you know, What are some of the the, techniques you use to tell them to stop making excuses for yourself and just get to work? Well, one of the techniques is uh, let's just get all that out on the table, right? And uh, does any of this, can any of this actually keep us from actually doing better? Uh Uh-huh. No. We can do better. Okay, well, then let's let's move on. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. So, so Vince, oh, I mean, just get it out. Get it out. Yeah, yeah nice. We know. Uh, we're all, yes. Okay, now, who wants to move forward and who wants to stay in the past, right? Good for you. And I think sometimes, honestly, whether in the business world or the church world, if people aren't willing to change and move forward, maybe they're not the best person to be on your team. Yeah, so strategic thinking mm-hmm. is kind of what you're organizing for these folks, right. it seems. Absolutely. And that's, that doesn't happen because oftentimes churches are made up of volunteers yeah. who have graduated into full-time positions with zero training. Right. And I don't want to 
insult anyone, but if you are listening to this and you work in the church, ask yourself, what is your training? What's your expertise to do this kind of work? Yeah, and reach out in areas that you don't have expertise in. And ask for help. Right. So bring in Paul, you know. Yeah, or someone and, uh, you know. No, we want you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And are there are there many people doing consultancy for churches? Uh, there, yeah, there's a few um, out there, and th- you know that they have uh, amazing parish offers some consulting sure. things like, like divine that. renovation, divine and renovation. Um, one of the things uh, that I think is really important because I think priests get mm-hmm. um, they get. Um, scared away by all the strategic planning. They think it's more work for them. It is work. Okay. Um, so what I'm really big on is simplifying it and then implementing. What's the implementation? Okay. okay. Not just, hey, let's just throw a bunch of cool things on the chalkboard. But how are we going to implement this? So some easy steps of implementation. And it, it might take some time. Okay. But for the most part, it um, so it's easy. Let, let me jump into the book. What was the motivation for the book? And then tell me... What do you want to accomplish with it? The motivation of the book, uh, the book's Rethink Happiness. Uh, the word rethink in the Greek comes from the word metanoia, mm-hmm. translated back into the in English to the word rethink. Yep. So it's conversion. Um, and with the underlying idea that everyone is asking the question or desiring to be happy, right? In that desire, we talked about this earlier, um, is that in that desire is something good. Yep. Right? But where they're getting fulfillment of that desire is different, right? It may not bring happiness. So the book is about finding true peace, joy, and happiness in relationship with Christ. Okay. And how do you find that? I'm sorry for asking that outward. How do you find the book? Or how do you find that? The book is available at. (laughs) Well, there's 10 chapters. Exactly. You know, well, it starts with the idea of um, am I happy? Yeah. Why, why do I desire this? And what's going to meet my need? Where don't I find happiness? Yep. So it's really kind of bringing all that into the light. And then where do I and how do I? So when you wrote this book, through that. is it because you're an expert at happiness? I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, people like ourselves, we're speakers, we're out there. How are we authorities on anything that we write about? Mm-hmm. Well, I always said I would never speak or write on something that I didn't or haven't internalized myself. Okay. Okay. And happiness has been my quest. I'm part melancholic. I'm part introvert. You know, I have, you know, I I come from an interesting background and past, you know, divorced family. And so even before my conversion, this, this, this quest for happiness was always deep inside of me. Really? And so the book, I just felt like, I didn't write the book. I felt like the book wrote me. Okay. And it was just already there. Huh. You know, I that's something I did not know about you. You came from a divorced family. So who raised you? Um, my, my parents were separated, and I'd split time between the two. Okay. Yeah. But here's, here's honestly what I thought, mm-hmm. that you came from a very value-based traditional family mm-hmm. with the dad very involved because— it's required in order for you to be a man of faith as Mm -hmm. you are. And look, let's admit, if you actually saw a picture (laughs) of Paul George, (laughs) I mean, you're a beast. You're how tall? 6'4". And how much do you weigh? About 215. And a lot of muscle. (laughs) I mean, it was like, no, dude. I was just born this way. But you're chiseled everywhere, and I 
freaking hate you in a Christian way. We're like Mutt and Jeff. We are truly Mutt and Jeff, for sure. I mean, Danny DeVito, maybe not that ridiculous, but Schwarzenegger and DeVito-ish. Yeah. But so I just thought that you were just this man. Where did you get your faith then? You know, my, my parents had values, and my dad was involved in my life even through, through the divorce. So, so that was good. Um, and then um, I had some family members that were involved in their faith, some aunts and uncles that I looked to. You grew up where? South Louisiana. And so there's a so the, Catholic culture there's there. There's still a culture there. You know, I was baptized, um, but my parents didn't go to church, and then they divorced, and then it was just kind of like— who are we? What are we about? Wow. So I had other family members who were involved in their faith that I looked to that kind of filled those gaps, you know. Is, who filled that gap? I mean, I, I, I'm very interested in hearing, like, who were your influences for all that? Because one of the things the church is missing are truly authentic masculinity. Right. It, it just mm-hmm. a Catholic masculinity. What does that look like? Right. And it, Full disclosure, Paul and I are both speakers at a men's conference in Oklahoma City. There's some good old boys out here. Absolutely. They've got some cowboy boots and everything, you know. But what? who was it that filled you with this this love for God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had an aunt and uncle that were really involved in their faith um, that, uh, you know, I would— I would hang out at their house. Why? You know, um, they were like youth group leaders. Okay. Yeah, and then— you know, I started to develop friendships um, that that um, involved faith later on in high school and in college. Um, and how did you do that? Like, what were some of the things that were presented to you or you sought out? You know, it's interesting because um, <coughs> I I don't know if, if this was just grace from my confirmation, grace from my baptism, mm-hmm. but I, I think I was able to look at my life and say, where are the gaps in my life? that I need to fill, and who can help me fill them? Mm. What people can I look to who can mentor me? You were asking those questions as a teenager? I was asking those questions later on in high school and then in college for sure as a young adult. But weren't you one of those cool popular kids that everyone you know basically had their impression of you because cool kids don't have Jesus? I was very, very good at hiding my quest for happiness. Really? Oh, yeah. I looked great on the outside, and on the inside I was really tussling with tussling yeah that's even a word that i'm surprised you use yeah like just (laughs) really grappling inside for for the for the sake of my listeners how did you struggle what i mean you you said you could hide the facade yeah but what were some of the struggles i mean did you i think struggle was like loneliness um, even people like you the cool kids yeah yeah i mean i could hang out with friends like all night and then go home and feel just empty lonely isolated I would internally just be like this is not I'm not happy I'm not you know, fulfilled and I, and I think everyone kind of at times in their life has those questions right they think sure but I think things. a lot of people from the a generic impression There's again, a, yeah they would just not think that you were going through that yeah and all right I'm gonna ask you the question did you cry yeah I think I did if I look back and so um, when was the moment when you said Jesus is going to fill my empty, my emptiness and the gaps. So I think I came brokenness. home one night as a teenager from partying, and I can't remember, but um, I was laying in bed. I remember it. I was living at my dad's house at the time, and I got confirmed in eighth grade. I was 13 or 14, and one of the gifts I got was a Bible, obviously. 
and um, I never opened it. So that night I went into the top of my closet looking for the Bible, and there it was. It was still shrink-wrapped, <laughs> literally. Like it still had the, the wrapping. Thanks for the it. gift. Yeah. So this is like three years later. I opened it up. It was like it was brand new, and I just started reading the Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel. Why Matthew? It was just the first New Testament book. That's all I knew. Okay. Right? I just knew Old Testament. I wouldn't understand. New Testament, Jesus. Let me start at the first book. Okay. I didn't know that the Gospels were the first ones. I just started reading, and it just so happened to be about the life of Jesus. Yeah. And I couldn't put it down. And everything he said was what I was looking for. And this has taken you on quite the journey. And this was in my bedroom by myself. As right? an 18-year-old yeah. kid. And I remember I got... I got all my knees on the side of my bed. Nobody told me to, and I just, I just prayed for the first time in my life. And tell me, what was that like? It was really strange because I, I felt my life change. Huh? I felt something. Now, people will listen to this and say, "Yeah, but you just kind of grew up that way." Mm -mm. But you didn't. No, I did not. Mm -mm. No, it I didn't. I didn't know how to pray or what to say or who Jesus was. Not at that time. Yep. Okay. And now it's taken you basically around the world, at least, right? right? Yeah. I mean, giving talks and yeah. lectures and consultation. And so tell me about now, Paul George. Yeah. So now, well, I'm married. I got five kids. Um, you know, been married almost 23 years. My wife and I do marriage conferences and marriage coaching yep. for couples. We have an assessment called To Be Known, tobeknown.com, where married couples or engaged couples can take the assessment and get a report. Uh, based on their relationship, it's it's really cool. Um, so you made this up? Yeah, yeah, and uh, just came out. Really excited about it because tell us where they can find it real quick. Because I'm I'm here. I'm all about plugs. To be known. Com. T o b e k n o w n. Com. Wow. And it's it's really all. It's one of the things that I look at even even more so than my book has as such a tool to help people. Uh, grow in their marriage because, you know, I, I say to married people all the time, the greatest thing that you can do in your life as a married couple is to be married. Huh. I mean, that sounds a little simplistic. Just stay married and work it out. Huh. So statistics show that people who divorce years later look back and say they wish they would have never divorced. Oh, yeah. You Isn't know, like, that like they wish they would have stuck it out, right? And so, um, so we're doing that. I do business coaching with um, what we had talked about earlier, um, speaking and um, yeah. But you also have a very unique background of a family now. Yeah, we have five kids. Did I mention that? Yeah, five kids. But how old are they? Well, there's yeah, there's a little gap. There. A little gap. Yeah, yeah. we go twenty to two. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. 20 years old and the youngest is two years old. Yeah. Did you think you well, still had any virility? Well, no. The, the youngest the youngest was 10 when the baby was born. So there was a, there's a 10-year gap between the, the youngest and the youngest. The youngest? What? what? The two oh, youngest. Oh, the two youngest. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Surprise. <laughs> and what was – I would love to hear what went on in your mind and heart with your wife and you. I mean – because this could bring a lot of unhappiness. Mm -hmm. to well, some my people. first thought was, "Oh crap!" 
Yeah. Holy, how are we going to do this? I didn't think right? you said, oh, crap. I think you said worse. I yeah, I did. Good old boys, but, but that's uh, right. <laughs> um, you know, because I think there are times in our lives we think, I don't know if I can do this, right? I don't know if I have, you know, I was 42 at the time. Uh-huh. Um, as what, you know, but after processing it, going through all the worries, I called a friend of mine who had a late-in-life kid, and I told him, he's, like, so excited, and he goes, hey, just, just so you know, just don't do the math. And I said, I already did. <laughs> I'll be 60 when she graduates. <laughs> so once you get past that, the uh, baby has been like an amazing blessing to the family. Yeah, that's kind of what usually happens. I mean, yeah. that baby's going to have a lot of moms yep. and another dad yeah. who is your hulking son. Yeah. I mean, when you look at him, because he kind of looks exactly like you, you do realize that, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think he's just a much better version of me. Really? Yeah, he's just a great great kid. Why? Why is he a better version of you? I think, you know... Besides your wife's influence. I think I just, you know, at the end of the day as a parent, I just, my prayer is that my kids would just be better than me. Mm. You know, because I know that I have, you know, some brokenness, some wounds, some shortcomings, and if I can just help them be a little bit better, and they can help their kids be a little bit better, Uh you know. So let me ask you this. Do you apply all of your consultation to yourself, and is that easy to do? Uh, I usually have people who consult me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You actually um, invite people to kind yes. of review who one, you are. One of the things I would say, you know, is maybe a, a gift of mine is that I'm not afraid to ask people for help. Sure. You know, help me, you know. Okay. What do you need help in? So I call them, you know, me and my friend of mine call them uh, people of reference, mm-hmm. P-O-R. So you make a list of things in your life. And do you have someone who can help you in that area of your life? Oh, my gosh. That is a huge so mind blow for a lot of people. You know, people don't courage, do that. you know, trust, joy, whatever. And so when I make a list and I say, well, I, there, I have someone here, here, and here. And usually on my list, if it's something I'm struggling with, I don't have someone. Yeah. You know. Okay. Off, off topic. We became friends. How exactly? Well, we first met at a conference years and years ago. You had Many brought a group. Ago. Yes. Or came with a group as, yeah. a, as a young priest. Very young priest. And I was hosting. I was a young host of the conference. And a bunch of kids came up and said, we got a priest in our group. Why would they do that? Who can break dance. Because you were asking for it. Well, because <laughs> I, I was willing to break the rules of what was allowed on stage. And... Uh, well, and who's going to mess with you? You could literally... You look like Dolph Lundgren. I mean, <laughs> somebody's told me that before. It's me. <laughs> because you do. The, um, I mean, this is well, crazy. Well, and I do have a very... Uh, square European, jaw. Um, yeah. Everything about look, you looks... Yes, very square. Very. Um, so so I got up on stage and I was like, is there a priest in the crowd who can break dance? And all the kids started pointing at you. Well, well okay. No, they didn't point at me. They ran to get me out of the confessional. Is that what it was? Thinking that I was, I I thought there was an emergency. It was like, Father, they're asking for you. They're asking for you. And I'm like, ask me for what? I'm hearing confessions. And so I go into this thing, and you are pointing at me thinking, my God, this guy's a Hulk. Get up here. Get up here and break dance, little monkey boy. (laughs) (laughs) And you did. And I did because. And I got to say this. Look, when you 
uh, did the break dance. Like you literally did a break dance. Yes, like I know spinning how. on your back. Yes, like of the whole deal. I it's okay. What we do yeah. Well, I don't do that. No, six four, two hundred something pounds. I do not break dance. I break things. Yeah. I don't break dance. <laughs> but but this, you break dance and can move. Yeah, but I mean, I I ask you this question, and the listeners are probably thinking, what what does this have to do with anything right now? It has to do with this. You just mentioned these PORs, right? Mm-hmm. People of reference. Yeah. What am I reference for you, if anything? I mean, do you do I? And I'm asking you this because usually I would ask at the end of every shoot the shiitake, how can I be of help to you? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And uh, well, to end the story is you came on stage and break down, and the people went nuts. They kind of went a little bit berserk. And then I think from there, like the organizers of the conference were like, wait, who is that priest? <laughs> and you probably got a call that next year to come speak. Um, you know, it's interesting when I do travel and end up in a conference, my wife will say, you know, are you going to know anybody there? Mm. And uh, a lot of times, you know, as you know, you're going out by yourself. But yep. if it is a conference where there's other speakers, then I'll say, you know, Father Leo is going to be there or something. And she'll say, oh, good, you like being with Father Leo. I was like, yeah, I actually do. And I'm not just saying this because you asked the question. I think when I'm around you, um, you have a unique ability to make me just feel like I can just be myself. Dude, that is so true. You know, just I feel the same way about you. This is turning into like a bromance conversation right right now. But I feel that about Mm -hmm. you because you tap into my inner white guy. And and you make me laugh. We joke a lot. We do. um, but we don't take it personally. And it's just, it's like, yeah, I can just relax, be myself. And I find probably, you know, I wrote a book about joy, but I What's find, that one? Uh, Rethink Happiness. Oh, we had, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I feel it like another book. It's, it's, it's still something I'm always pushing myself to be more of, more yeah, joyful. Yeah, yeah. And, and you definitely bring that out in me. Well, I, let me tell you, you know, I'm so grateful that we had this follow-up conversation. I had you do something on a premium content. So folks, if you want the premium stuff, Paul goes into more with this whole happiness thing. But this was a real opportunity to hear how if we really want to be happy, we really need consultation. We need people in our lives. We need people in our lives. And let me tell you, I am absolutely grateful for this. When I come back, I'm going to share with you my carryout order, what I learned from this big, tall, white guy <laughs> who could literally, like, smush me with literally a step. You could just step and kill me. I smush you like yeah. great. <laughs> We'll be back with more Shoot the Shiitake in my carryout order in just a moment. And welcome back for my carryout order. I want to thank my special guest, Paul George. He is a great guy and a few things that I learned from him. First and foremost, he does make me happy. He really is just one of these genuinely big guys who could technically make me feel uncomfortable because I'm so diminished next to him. But he is... He has an equally large heart. And honestly, if it weren't for him, I probably would not have been introduced to the main speaking stage of of Steubenville University, uh, where they host these major conferences. And and I was taking kids to a conference. He brings me up on stage. And since then, I've been speaking ever since. And who would have thunk that breakdancing would be a way to evangelize? But it is. And you know what? It just gets you to rethink our circumstance and ask the question, how can I be happy? Because that really is rooted in something that Paul George is helping people to do. So just being with Paul and having an opportunity to share a stage with him and then first and foremost to, 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 to be 
brothers in Christ and to also know he's out there bringing such good news to the world and happiness to all the people he helps in his consultation. I'm just so grateful for it and gratitude is my carryout order for this particular episode and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it and and if you want to support our podcast, visit platinggrace.com, become a tiered member of the academy. It not only supports us, it gives you premium content and special perks and I want to thank you for listening and between now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, God bless you and stay hungry. Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at catholicsingles.com.